0: Growing up in the church, I was very familiar with the verse where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that mean that there's a yoke that's not easy and a burden that's not light? And what is the purpose of a yoke to start with? I want to know.
1: We want to welcome each and every one of you to this episode of the Doctrine of Christ. Whether you know it or not, the Doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. And I just am so thankful that the Lord put Brother Jamie Cooper in our life, giving him a burden for the Doctrine of Christ and for getting this episode out. We have been so blessed when that young man came into our life. We're so thankful. And the episode tonight is entitled The Yoke of Christ. And this is a scripture that I remember as a young child. I memorized this. It was It's one of those memory verses that are given to little children. But it is like everything. It is little understood. And when we approach this text of the doctrine of Christ with prayer and meditation, the richness that explodes is phenomenal. So let's read our text in Matthew chapter 11. We'll begin with verse 28. It's an invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest into your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And the yoke of Christ is the doctrine of Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's what we're doing in this Doctrine of Christ series We are yoking people up with the master. We take the yoke of Christ upon us by learning of him in the doctrine of Christ. That's our lifelong dedication. And when we understand the importance of the yoke, it's just gonna, it just blows me away. And the yoke implies three things that come to mind when I think of the yoke. It's first of all, a connection, and it's secondarily of submission, and it's thirdly service. And these are the three main things that a yoke would imply to us. And it's all about learning of him. We take the yoke upon us by learning of him, and we'll never be done with that. We could do. 50 seasons of the doctrine of Christ. And, and we be, will. Yeah. We'll be so excited about season 51. It's That'll be like,
0: 700.
1: Will that be 700 episodes? It'll be a
0: bunch. Something you know, like I can't 50 believe times,
1: it. Oh, I'm way off. We're wrapping up season two already. And Can you I believe that it's just going so fast and it's just become such a part of my life. Looking forward to this every week. And, That'd be 1,000 episodes. Oh, yeah. 50 seasons. And um, here's another profound truth we want to understand about the yoke. We want to really understand the doctrine of Christ is the yoke, and it's impossible to have two yokes. Matthew 6 and 24, this is another foundational truth. No man can serve two masters. We cannot have the yoke of Christ and the yoke of anything else upon us. Now, this is scary because I wish it were not the case. I wish there were just people everywhere teaching the doctrine of Christ. It's so simple. It's so pure to be a disciple of Christ is to be a student of Christ. But as we all know, that just isn't the case. David, this
0: is this all has cleared so much up for me these past two seasons. Like. Never before for me, the doctrine of Christ, whether you know it or not, (laughs) is the most important thing. And it's true. It's so true. It simplifies everything and clarifies everything.
1: And and it's scary uh, in a good way, but it's scary. You know, the Apostle John, uh, if anyone does not have the doctrine of Christ he's none of his and when we just think about what the yoke is the yoke is learning of Christ no one can serve two masters how many people are trying to have the yoke of Christ and the yoke of something else at the same time and how many people and we pointed out many 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 instances where people will say I'm a disciple of Christ but yet the clear teaching of what he really taught is obviously rejected So this is scary. You can't have two masters. No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so much doctrine in the American evangelical church is cognitive dissonance. Now I'll drop a. $100 word on everybody. Cognitive dissonance. And that's a psychological term for people that hold two contradictory concepts at the same time. Like people, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I believe in pre-true rapture when that doctrine contradicts what he said many, many times. And cognitive dissonance is what we create in our mind to rationalize ourselves holding two contradictory positions. And that's what most Modern day theology is it's just cognitive dissonance that is trying to rationalize following Jesus while doing just opposite of what He said. But we can't have two masters. And when we begin to think about, uh, you know, the straight and narrow gate, straights the gate, narrows the way, and this as in everything He taught, it helps us to realize how straight the gate is, and at the same time, how easy it is how easy it is for everyone to go through that straight and narrow gate. You just have to deny yourself and deny all of their yokes and man, you're good to go. It, uh,
0: it definitely has. I mean, like I said earlier, it's simplified so much for me, but, but it also shows me just how much I am attached to my own self and the denying yourself. That is a, that is tough, but the understanding of what we're supposed to do is not tough. It's the, it's the denying this. That's why that's one of the first things Jesus said was deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me.
1: Yeah. That has to be where it starts. Yeah. And we began calling our ministry followers of Jesus Christ in 1984. Many of our listeners weren't born then. And we, uh, we knew the pre-trib rapture was wrong, but it's not, you know, we didn't know everything right off the bat. We still actually don't know everything that might shock some people, but we still actually don't know everything and we don't even think we do, but it's like been kind of like peeling an onion. Well, here is this contradiction. Well, Oh, here's another one. And Oh, here's another one. And whenever we find ourselves. Contradicting Christ. There has to be immediate repentance. That's what the yoke is. We are learning of Him. We understand that we are yoked with Him in connection, in obedience and service. And this is what the yoke is. And we can't have two. You can't have two. You can't have two yokes. And.
0: Well, David, ahead. I didn't know if it's something you're going to say, but I've. I heard um, an explanation of of what an actual yoke was like before, and you probably have it, you know, written down to talk about this. But no, go right ahead. It's all right. So the way I understood it, for an oxen, there would be a yoke, and there'd be two, and they would be side by side as they would be plowing or whatever. But there would they wouldn't put two big oxen together. They would put a big one and a smaller one because the yoke would be designed to for the bigger one with the experience to be training the little one. And the bigger one would be carrying the majority of the load. So when Jesus tells us to do this, he's saying, I will carry the majority of the load. I'm teaching you how to do this. But the implication is, at some point, you're gonna, you're gonna grow up, and you're gonna be able to carry more load. Maybe this is how you start teaching other people too.
1: Yeah, need to do. There's a point where a little plowing needs to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's think about breaking yokes, and this is kind of a term that's been trivialized in charismatic circles. But it's a real reality of having the anointing of the Holy Spirit to break the yoke. And this is such a supremely important concept. Now, in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of thee anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit breaks the yoke. Now, let's look very specifically. The yoke is the doctrine of Christ. The anointing will break off false yokes. Now, let's look at the scripture, and we've looked at this a lot, and this just confirms through layers and layers of understanding the the supernatural truth we're telling people. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 27 but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you and ye need not that any man teach you the anointing teaches us the doctrine of Christ and that will break off every false yoke when we are taught with the Holy Spirit and driven by Not just a little bit, not just 75% of the time, but 100% of the time to the doctrine of Christ, the anointing breaks the yoke. And ye need not that any man should teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And we want to put that together with the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verse 26 but the comforter which is the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever i have said unto you the holy ghost is the anointing we have received that from christ it is within us It will teach us by taking us back to what Jesus said. The yoke is the doctrine of Christ and the Holy spirit anointing will break every false yoke off of our life. This is the anointing breaking the yoke. And when we understand this, Oh my goodness. um, All you see, there's so many false yokes we could talk about so many examples dispensationalism is, is a false yoke over and over catholicism we could uh hebrew root pick one there's 101 ways to go wrong there's one way to go right the doctrine of christ and this is the profound power of the invitation of christ and the command take my yoke upon you and learn of me and this is the easy yoke. His yoke is easy. The burden is light. He'll do the teaching, you know. He's He'll, doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. Let him drive, man, you know. And uh, it is so great. And this is the profound um, significance of the yoke being broken. Now, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. And we'll look a little deeper into Yokes of bondage. And here again, the yokes of bondage are just as, I mean, we wouldn't have time to even name them all. There are all kinds of yokes of bondage. There's only one yoke of Christ. And here's the command from Scripture from the Apostle Paul Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The yoke of Christ is light. Every other yoke is a yoke of bondage. It will not set you free in the spirit in any way. And we are commanded. You see, this comes into such clear focus in studying the yoke. You you can't have two of them, you know. Don't all of us before we were born again, we were yoked up with something, you know, Uh, like Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody, you know, everybody serves somebody and don't be entangled again with those yokes that you came out of and don't have anyone else be putting another yoke on you. There's gobs of guys out there. They got all kinds of yokes. And they got all kinds of fancy wrapping on them. There's only one doctrine of Christ. That is the only yoke there is. That is the only way. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's it. There's no other. And the danger of trying to serve two masters, Jesus said you can't do it. Yeah. You know, you, you, can't, you can't take anything and put it upon a, a par with the doctrine of Christ. It's an insult to the to the father to put anything on a par with the doctrine of his son. I mean, think
0: about that. God takes it upon himself to come to earth in the flesh, God in the flesh, and he spends however many years. Some say it's three, some say it's one, some say it's two, some say it's longer. I don't, I don't, I mean, to me, I don't know, but however long he taught, which I believe it was three years, but all of that was for, for nothing. I mean, think about that. How silly that is. Yeah. God takes the time to come down in flesh to Save mankind, and I'm going to give you some good teaching while I'm here. But after I'm gone, you know, nah, don't worry about nothing. I taught. that was just for them, for that, for that group of people, whatever.
1: That makes no sense to me. No. And that stuff about the gifts of the spirit and the healing. Now, there's a footnote there. This will expire. You know, the Book of Corinthians written about A.D. fifty. This will expire in fifty years. There'll be no more gifts of the Spirit and healing. You know, I mean, that's crazy. Once the last original apostle dies off, that's it. That's it. You know, we got to have dry bones drive you crazy, church, bore you to death, church. You know, Uh, it's so silly. And on the thing that that guy out there that's teaching Jesus ministered one year. The the Hebrew guy, that guy, rips the Bible to shreds several places to come up with that. That's nonsense. But yeah. um, let's think a little bit about the law. And in Galatians, we'll talk a little bit about that yoke of bondage.
0: And, I'm glad uh, you brought that up because that's what I was thinking when you read five uh, one just saying. I'm like, I bet yeah. some people think that yoke of bondage is is Jesus or Paul talking about the law of Moses.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it is. Let's let's think about this. Here's a scripture for us to think about. And this is something that we can't talk about this enough because there's so many people out there talking about it wrong in all directions. But first Timothy chapter one and verse eight. But we know that the law's good if a man use it lawfully. Now there's one for us. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. There's a right and a wrong way to use the law. You can break the law using the law. It's just like a gun. A gun can be a good thing to protect yourself, or a gun can be an instrument in the hand of a maniac. Now, we're going to think a little bit about this. And in verse nine, he says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. And, you know, no one has to try to convince us, you know, the law is written on our heart of a believer. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, if that's on my heart, I'm actually going to want to do that. Thou shalt not kill. We're not going to kill, not going to steal. You don't have to tell us to do that. The law is on our heart. So we're going to want to do that, you know. And a lot of people today are saying, well, the law is on my heart. That means I don't have to do anything. You know, those people aren't getting it. And you just have to really wonder if they're born again at all. It's hard to see they are. Because the Holy Spirit writing the law in your heart is going to make you want to obey it, you see. But we can use the law in an unlawful way and we can make it a yoke and this is so much out there and the law and the way i always put it is that we should obey the law and i'll just say everything left of matthew uh anything we can apply we should apply it and of course thank god that levitical system has been replaced yeah with the a,
0: ceremonial with, law with, is not, non-existent we
1: don't have Bulls and goats, and there's some people out there in the Hebrew root movement. They don't go along with that. They want to. Uh, they don't think the animal sacrifices have been passed away, and you're that's the yoke bondage right there. Well, then Jesus' death on the cross was
0: ineffective.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we're going to see just how serious that is. The, and um, whenever we try to use the law for justification or sanctification, we're using the law unlawfully. Right. And let's just do the Romans road. You know, when I was a youngster, we had the Romans road for salvation. Well, let's have the Roman road on the law. And this is good. This is make a good track. Um, Romans chapter three and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified for by the laws, the knowledge of sin, the law lets us know what sin is. We know what idolatry and paganism uh, is because it's right there in the law. Um, in Romans chapter seven and verse 12 in Romans seven and 12, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment, holy, just, And good. Wait
0: wait a minute, David. This is Paul talking several years after Jesus already resurrected and ascended.
1: So I thought the law was done away with. Yeah. And we did the whole episode from Jesus where he said, I did not come to do away with the law and the prophets. I come to fulfill them. And we did a whole DLC on that. We've talked about this several times. And, you know, it's amazing to me. And all of these scriptures. And it's right. Here's cognitive dissonance right here. Romans 7 and 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. If you're sucking air right now. I think the Bible says the law has dominion over you. And when you break that law, you are under the penalty of death from a holy God, you Mm. see. And you know, well, the law's passed away. Well, know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. That's why we need a savior, because that law is still valid. And the wages of sin is death. We have broken the law of the holy God. That's why, and you see, if we don't preach the law, There will be no conviction of sin, and that's why there's so precious few people saved because the real gospel of the kingdom isn't being preached.
0: Well, doesn't it say in James or 1 John, I think it's 1 John, that the actual definition of sin is transgression of the law?
1: 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. And Romans 10 and 4, for Christ is the end of the law, and it doesn't stop there. And a lot of people stop right there. And they say Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes, believeth. We are not saved by the law. We are not sanctified by the law, but know ye not that the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth, that the law is holy, just right and good, that the law Uh, gives us what the knowledge of sin is. And in Romans chapter three and verse 31. And we have, and here's another good one. My goodness. Uh, Romans one and four and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith. We have received grace for obedience. You see, and now we obey the law by faith and the power of the Holy spirit. My goodness. You see,
0: well, David, I, I, I I was looking up the uh, in the interlinear here back. I'm still three verses behind you. You were you're rolling
1: on us. But okay, that's well, you good. No, go it's great. Kind of go back and elaborate because these gr- are you know, these are so important and they're so clear.
0: Yeah. No, but I was looking up in Romans ten four, where it says Christ is the end of the law. Well, I like what does the end mean right there? So I just was looking it up. And it does mean It does mean a limit, but one of the other meanings it has is like the end to which all things relate, the aim, the purpose. So with that understanding, it's like for Christ is the goal of the law, the purpose of the law. What do you say about that? Yeah.
1: Well, exactly right. Yeah. It I mean, doesn't
0: mean that it's the termination of it in this context. I don't—I mean, we know that's not true. Yeah. So and it has to mean over, something else.
1: He brought out what you and I would believe and teach and affirm repeatedly regarding the law of God is that which would have been believed by John Wesley, Jonathan Fletcher, uh, John Owen, Richard Watson— uh, Thomas Watson Spurgeon, you name them. The men of God of old, they preached with thunder the law of God. And that's when uh, people were really born again. And that's why we're seeing people, lives changed and really born again. Amazing uh, testimonies we're receiving. And all the credit goes to him because it's it's all about Jesus. Yeah. And it's about the gospel and the power of the doctrine of Christ. So, Man, it's just an awesome thing to be able to serve Jesus. What we're going to do, we're going to begin with the teaching of Paul. We're going to come at this from another angle. Then we're going to come back to the doctrine of Christ, and we're just going to tie this together in a in a really neat little bundle. And so many people our dispensationalist friends, they want to make a lot of hay about Paul teaching something different than Christ. And this is just so not true. Now, we're going to begin with the phrase that is seldom used correctly, under the law. And we're going to begin in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. And Paul's getting a little feisty here, and he's getting in the grill just a little bit.
0: Wasn't he talking to Druids or something like that?
1: Yeah. Well, who are the Galatians? <laughs> well, the Galatians were the Gallic people yeah. who became the Druids when they went to the British Isles. So, wow. yeah, they absolutely were. And um, we're going to talk about that in a passage uh, that's often used against people that want to celebrate the Feast of God. And it's they just totally get this so wrong. But there was in Galatia, there were it was a multiple problem there were jewish christians that were telling believers that they had to be circumcised to be justified there were jews that were not converted to christ that were wanting to just absolutely bring the believers back into the temple and this is a little of the problem here and there were also mystery cults of the mystery religions that would become what we would call Kabbalah or Gnosticism. And a lot of them, they also required circumcision. And I have a book here called who was Hiram a Biff by J.S.M. Ward, of uh, 33rd degree Freemason. And here's just one example. And when people see circumcision, they think, well, these were the Jews, but a lot of these were Jews that were in the mystery religions that were taking a perverted Judaism, Kabbalistic thought into these mystery rites. And here's one example of uh, the Sumerian rites of Tammuz. And it says here on page 134, initiates have to be circumcised because this is a substitute for the whole. The great fertility goddess claims every man's virile Member. So they had to be circumcised just like in Judaism. So see, we got a multiple problem. And when you look at it too narrowly, you don't get it. You see, because these Galatians were not Jews, and that'll that'll come out uh, very soon. Now here, And, of course, there were Jews there, too. And now he's talking to the Jews here. He's going to get in their grill a little bit. Galatians 421, tell me ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? And Galatians was written from Ephesus in 54 AD on Paul's third missionary journey. And the temple was still there. And to be under the law, of course, Paul was all about obeying the law. We just read Romans written by Paul, all he said about the law. We established the law through faith. But you see, to be under the law meant you go into the temple and you do the sacrifices and you get underneath that Levitical priesthood. That's what's gone because Christ is the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. That's why this was so wrong. To be under the law meant to go back under that Levitical system. Now let's just read on just a little bit. And when we just realize the temple was still there, you know, 54 AD, it wasn't until 70 AD when that temple was going to come down. He was dealing with them going back under that Levitical system. And in uh, verse 22, he says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bond woman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage. There's our word. It's bondage. It's a yoke. When you let people... Get you into this idea that there's any salvation or sanctification in that Levitical priesthood. This is serious, it's bondage, and we're going to see as we go deeper that you're flirting with eternal damnation when you go there. You really are. It's, um, it's 10 to a Richter scale, serious. He said, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which answereth to Jerusalem, which is now. Jerusalem, 54 AD, temple, animal sacrifices, bondage. Jerusalem, which is now. If you try to have Levitical priesthood without Christ, you've got hell. If you try to have Jesus Christ without obedience to God's moral law, you get hell. If you go through the straight and narrow gate and you take the yoke of Christ upon you, then you will have the empowering of the Holy Spirit to establish the law through faith. Then, and only then, do we have the reward of eternal life. This is such an important issue That there's a deep ditch on both sides of the road that go right down in the very bowels of hell. That's good. Let's go to Romans 6. Hmm. And here again in Romans 6, Paul uses that phrase, under the law. And he contrasts it. With the same theme as in Galatians, liberty or bondage. And we also will see here the element of free will of everyone, and everyone will be held accountable for what they do here. And I understand we've all been confused by this because there's so much false teaching. I don't want to think that I'm trying to come down hard on people. I'm just wanting to emphasize to everyone how important it is because we've all had a good heart and a wrong head because we've been misled by people. But we come to the yoke of Christ and we really yoke up. These yokes will be busted. You see, you'll have some yokes, the anointing when the Holy spirit takes you to the doctrine of Christ, the anointing will break that yoke and we're going to be really free. And this is the thought that Paul begins to expand on. And then we're going to come right back into the doctrine of Christ and we're going to double down. Now, In Romans 6, uh, beginning in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. The only way, you see, Romans 1 and 5, Paul said, I've received grace for obedience to the faith. He didn't say, well, I've received law for the obedience of the faith. In Acts 4.33, it says, uh, and great grace was upon them all. Didn't say, and great law was upon them all. Yeah, they obeyed the law, but it was by the grace and empowering of the Holy Spirit that they could establish the law through faith, you see. And in verse 15, what then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid, you know, are are we going to, Break God's moral law and be idolaters and pagans because we're under grace? No, because the law establishes, uh, the grace establishes, excuse me, we establish the law through faith. There I got it out. And and here in verse 16, we have a little personal responsibility. And here again, Paul is, you know, he's, he's getting aggressive. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. And here we are with the concept of the yoke. Don't you know that whatever yoke you put on yourself, you're going to obey that yoke? And don't you know that you can't obey two masters? Right. You know, this is what Paul's saying. And it's so clear that it's scary when we meditate on how this is playing out in the religious world that we live in. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, And, oh boy, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now, I wonder what doctrine that would be. That is the doctrine of Christ. You see, that's the only yoke. That will bust all the other yokes. That's the only yoke. You see, you can get into any old yoke or any old goofy religion you want to get into. It will not set your heart free from sin. The only thing that can do that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Of uh, Romans 8 and 2 said, For the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath set me free from the law of sin and death. That's the only thing that can set us free from the law of sin and death is the law, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And when we put our faith in the cross, just like when the Holy Spirit was sent on Pentecost and just like that Holy Spirit baptizes and fills us, the Holy Spirit will be released to us to give us the ability to obey from the heart and establish the law through faith. What an awesome God we serve. Amazing. Now let's let's relate this back to the Torah. And in Exodus chapter twenty-one, verse five and six. And if the servant shall say, shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. That's giving your all to Jesus. <laughs> uh, bad joke. But And what they literally did.
0: You have been a pastor at one time. That's a pastor joke, if I ever
1: heard yeah, one. Yeah, that's a that's a dumb joke, but I, I just couldn't resist. But it's you take that little hangy-down part of the ear, and you literally put that little hangy-down part of your ear up against the doorpost, and they put that all there, and they bore it through. That's taking the yoke on. You willingly serve your master, and you choose to become his bondservant. That's what taking the yoke of Christ is. You willingly take upon his yoke, and you learn of him, and you reject all other yokes. And whatever yokes we picked up in our life, we allow the Holy Spirit, by taking us back to what he said, break that yoke. Let the anointings break those yokes off until we are set free in Christ and we have the liberty— And the liberation of the true anointing of the Holy Spirit to take us into truth. And when we receive this truth, someone said the other day, he said, truth is like a bell that rings in my heart. When I hear it, I know it. And this truth will ring in your heart. It will set you free because you'll know dead religion can't do anything for you. But the power of the Holy Spirit can set you free and you'll understand just exactly what we're talking about. Now let's go to the doctrine of Christ, and let's just tie it back into another section of the doctrine of Christ in a, in just another whole layer. You're pretty excited tonight. I am. I like it. I, this is good, man. It's the. I mean, to feel the freedom of Christ. Yeah, it's, it's real. It's real. I mean, it's real, and there's nothing. It's something dead religion can't do for you. Jesus is real, and my goodness, I love him. He'll never, he'll never disappoint you. Now, let's go to John eight, and here we see that we'll understand. In Romans six, Paul was just teaching the doctrine of Christ, which is what he did. He said in First Timothy, if any man consent not to the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's proud, doesn't know anything. Um, John chapter eight. Let's begin in verse thirty-one. Jesus then said, "Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then ye are then are ye my disciples indeed. And if we continue studying the doctrine of Christ, we're his disciples. We got the yoke. And of course, if you don't, you don't." And if you think you can do this and have some other yoke too, no man can serve two masters. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Only the doctrine of Christ can set you free. That's the only yoke that will break the anointing of every false yoke. Then answered him, now this is one of the dumbest things anyone ever said, right here. This is double dumb. Then answered him, We be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, Ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. This is exactly what Paul said in Romans 6. Don't you know that? whosoever, you know, commits sin, you're the servant of sin. You got to choose who you're going to yield to. You know, this is what Paul was doing in Romans six. He was just expounding John chapter eight, the doctrine of Christ. And in, um, in verse 34, Jesus answered them, verily, verily saying to you, whosoever committeth sin is servant of sin, uh, as you said earlier, first John three, four, for sin is the transgression of the law and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Now here we have the concept of the bond slave, you know, the bond slave, when it was time for him to go free, he could choose, you know, he could put his ear on the doorpost and take the yoke of his master on, or he could just go chase after anything he wanted to do. And here's the thing, whether we abide in the house forever depends upon whether we're going to take the yoke of the master. Because that's the only thing that will set us free. If you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. It's right there. Yep. It's it's the choice. And we can teach this 10 ways to Sunday, inside and out, from Paul, the Torah, doctrine of Christ. And most people, and a lot of people are getting it. I don't mean that a lot of people aren't. But the mass of people in religious America, they're going to take some of the yoke on them. And sad to say, that yoke is going to take them right into the bowels of hell. And the the terrible, you know, if it was something that took a great intellect to understand, I'd be out of luck. But this is so plain, so clear. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. If you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You know, it's a matter of people choosing to either put their Ear on the door and submit to the master as a willing bond slave, or to choose some other yoke. It's that simple, and the choice is there for everybody. And I wish, and a lot of people are going to make the right choice, but we know that more people are going to make the wrong choice than the right choice. Um, let's go to Galatians 4 and let's look at something I referred to earlier. And um, this is another thing that, my goodness, this is used in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8 against people that will want to honor Passover and Pentecost and tabernacles and reject Easter and Christmas. But, and what I do a lot of times when I teach this, I'll say, look over at your neighbor and tell them the Galatians weren't Jews. And if that high and lofty truth can penetrate our minds, we'll get this one real quick. But the Galatians were the Gallic people, and uh, they were the people that when they went to the British Isles, they were known as the Druids. They were deeply pagan. And uh, if we would talk about a people that uh, they were known as the tallest people in the world. See, I Uh, thought
0: the Druids were like tiny.
1: No, I did. Are, I just what I always thought. Yeah, well, they like they talk to them little dwarf guys, you know, Yeah, man. they talk to little people. Maybe that's where I'm getting confused. Yeah. And uh, in the Gallic Wars, uh, the writings of Julius Caesar. I mean, these guys were huge. And when they rode their horses, they were buck naked and they were terrifying. And I mean, here are these. That'd be great scary. Boys, I, I admit it. That'd be scary seeing that. They were brutal. They were fierce. And they would come out there with long flowing hair, buck naked, just all crazy jacked up. And they, I tell you, the Romans had their hands full with them. They really did. And, uh, they got a bunch of weapons from them, but anyway. And Paul was able to go there and get these guys going in the right direction. Yeah. And of course this, you know, and this comes up in this discussion, they probably had as a people, one of the highest percentages of Nephilim blood, but yet many, many of them were born again. And when we are born again, we are regenerated Titus three, five by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy ghost. We are literally, if any man be in Christ, he's a new new creation. Yeah. And it's literally salvation is a miracle. That is a change at the genetic germline level. You're not,
0: a Nephilim could, in theory,
1: become saved. Yes, if they're part human. Now, here again, I, I you know, I don't know. Well, I, I,
0: I thought Nephilim were part human. That was yeah, the they point. Are. They had human mothers and and you know fallen angel, you know fathers.
1: And of course, that's above my pay grade to know, know. how that, that. And of course, these people here. There'd been a lot, uh, they weren't like Goliath, but they were big people, you know, big people. And, um, but anyway, uh, we know that the Galatians, bunch of them got saved. But let's look at this text, Galatians chapter four, eight. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. Now here it's talking about their pre-conversion life, right. serving gods. These people aren't Jews. Yeah. Verse nine, but now after that you're known of God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again? You see, they were going again to something they used to do when they were in paganism, not Judaism. It's, it's right there. Right. How turn ye to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? bondage. There's our word again. Ye observe days and months and times and years. You see, this That's, is... He, that, he's talking about God's feasts and festivals, right? No, this is, oh. not, this is not Passover, Pentecost. Oh. This is Easter, Christmas, and all that <laughs> other pagan garbage. You know, and the Druids were huge on that. I mean, you know, it's how can people get it so wrong? You know, it's right there. And how serious is it? Verse 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Paul was so upset with this that in many places he spoke to them uh, in language that would imply damnation of hell in Galatians 5 and 4. For Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Christ is become of no effect. If you take on that yoke of law for justification, Christ is of no effect unto you. Why? Because no man can serve two masters. What a sad thing. And this is exactly like in Mark chapter seven, when Jesus told the Pharisees in vain, do you worship me? That's what that word vain in vain. ye do to worship me teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men, something vain. It's worthless. It's of none effect. It's the same thing here. Paul was saying, this is serious language. And, in uh, in the mixing of the yolk, right down in verse nine, he said a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. And when you think, well, I can uh, take this new clever yoke on me, and it's going to be great. Listen, when you start opening yourself up to these. False yokes, they'll eat like a cancer in your spiritual life, and it'll eat until it takes you down. You see that it happened to the wisest
0: man besides Jesus in the Bible. King Solomon got all tangled up in all kinds of little leavens here and there, and it Uh just messed him up. I mean, he started marrying wives from all these different things and then building their temples for them and then getting mixed up in all their religion. And that leaven, just even the wisest man on earth before Jesus,
1: he ate the whole box of leaven in the box that came in. He rolled around in it. He just <laughs> covered himself. He took a bath in it. I mean, yeah, oh that my guy. Gosh. Oh man. Um, let's, let's wrap this up let's get some final thoughts here and let's bring John Owen in to help us a little bit here. Oh, good. Um, Hebrews chapter six, verse 19. And you see in the book of Hebrews, it speaks of the doctrine of Christ as an anchor. I love this Hebrews chapter six, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil. Oh my, you see, we got an anchor here and our anchor enters into the veil in the third heaven.
0: Okay. Yeah. Break that down a little bit.
1: Okay. Um, Back in chapter four, Um, in the epistle of the book of Hebrews. I read that this morning. In verse 16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And we know, we've talked about it a lot, Uh, Ephesians 2, 5, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Colossians 3 and 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. We can actually come into his presence. This isn't just Ink on paper. This is a spiritual reality that will transform your life. And you see, that's where our anchor is. We have an anchor. No matter where we are on this earth, no matter what's going on, we have an anchor that'll go inside the veil. And that anchor is Jesus Christ. And that anchor is the same Jesus that gave us his doctrine. You see, that's our anchor. And man, you see, and if you got that anchor, and if you know Jesus, and if you really know him, you're not going to want these false yokes. You're not going to be. You're not going to think, well, boy, chasing after every little goofy, nonsensical thing you can. And this reminds me of um, Acts chapter 17 and verse one. Excuse me, verse 21. And it says, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there, spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear something new. I mean, is that our modern YouTube generation? It's YouTube, absolutely. Yeah, they must have had YouTube back in Athens. Yeah, Uh, listen to that. For the Athenians and strangers which were there, spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. And— When you've got the anchor of Christ and his doctrine, you're not going to be looking for everything else, you know. And, you know, in uh, Ephesians, Paul was talking about the very same thing in Ephesians chapter four and verse 13 and 14. And here's what the unity of faith will do for you till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God. That's what we're doing on the doctrine of Christ. We're giving you the knowledge of the son of God and his doctrine unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why do we do that? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. God wants us to be anchored. You got a good old anchor. Your boat ain't going to drift. But if you're not anchored, you know, bless their hearts. You can just tell it's not being judgmental. When people don't have the yoke of Christ upon them, they're all over the place, man. They're, they're You can sell them the Brooklyn Bridge, doctrinally speaking. Any old wind, it doesn't take much as... Just... <sighs> I think the Apostle Paul might be a false prophet. Oh, really? I'll have to think about that. (sighs) Jesus is not co-eternal with the Father. Really? I'll think about that. (sighs) Oh, I think uh, Barbello's God. Pick one. I mean, any old wind will just—it doesn't take anything to blow these people. Oh, give me something new, you know? These people don't have the anchor. They don't have the yoke, and when we— find Jesus that nonsense will stop. I just,
0: I'm sorry. I'm laughing for, for something different. I'm these, these things you're doing just reminded me of a famous pastor. I saw recently, you know, doing that, you know, over a certain sickness. that's 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 covering the world right now. I just I had that image in my mind. I started <laughs> laughing Yeah. Uh.
1: <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to John Owen. All and right, will John up. Owens. Here he comes, and this is what John Owen said on the passage in Hebrews, uh, chapter 6, 19. John Owen, Puritan, 17th century, for those of you that don't know. But he said, Groundless presumptions are the deceitful engines whereby the souls of multitudes are ruined every day of no more use than if the mariners should cast out a log or a burden of straw to stay their vessel in a storm. What a phrase, the deceitful engines whereby the souls of multitudes are ruined. And you see, he got it. You see, it's not just Well, I believe this, I believe that, we'll agree, disagree. It's not about that. It's about agreeing to believe Jesus. That's what it's about. And that's the only anchor there is. And these others, they're just deceitful engines that are deceiving the multitudes. Within the veil, he continues. Therefore is within and above these visible heavens, the place of God's glorious residence, the holy tabernacle, not made with hands where the Lord Christ continueth to minister for his church. That's our anchor. And when we find it, uh, we're not going to be chasing after every new thing that comes down the pike and man, it's time to get anchored. Um, A couple quick parables of Christ in Matthew chapter 13 come to mind. Um, You know, David, real quick. Go ahead,
0: Jimmy. We're doing a new thing. We're going back to the doctrine of
1: Christ. Yeah. That's a new thing these days, I think. It is. I mean, it really is. Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? Not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. And a lot of them, you know, they're trying to have the yoke of Christ and say they got it and put all other yokes on there, too. And it, it's obvious that's what it is. Yeah. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, this is what it's like when people really find the yoke. Uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hidden in the field, The which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. When we understand the yoke of Christ and how pure his word is, it's going to be that. And everything else, we're not going to be looking for everything else. Ever new thing, we're going to be looking at that. And in the very next uh, verse, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure uh, in the field. It's all about Jesus and it's all about his yoke. Let's see if we can wrap up here. Uh, Well, just a couple more things. One thing here, too. I want to read this. I could just go and go and go and go and go here. Um, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4. And this is a uh, very stern, sober verse. And in Galatians 2, 4, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, Who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us under bondage. False brethren. Wanting to bring people into bondage. We cannot preach two yokes. We can only preach one yoke. The only real brethren. The only, you know, just like Jesus said, John 8, 31. If ye continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. These are false brethren. Man, that's a... Well,
0: and that's you know what's you thought, know what's scary, too, is how many of these false brethren even believe that they're false brethren, you know, because this has been perpetuated generation after generation for how long now? Yeah. You know, these guys believe that they're, I believe that a lot of these guys believe they're saying and teaching the right things. Yeah. But they're false brethren and don't even realize it.
1: And, you know, we've used the, um, example before of Jehovah witnesses. Yeah. Sincere. Absolutely. Dedicated. They're sincere. And young Mormon missionaries, uh, they're sincere. Don't think they're not sincere. Uh, they're sincere than 90% of the people in the church pew. Yeah. Uh, but they're sincerely wrong. And the only way we can discern truth from error is the doctrine of Christ. Yeah, And um, those are some very obvious examples of it. And we'll close out with this one command of scripture in Hebrews 12 and one. We're going to code one more comment with John Owen, and I think we're going to close out this DLC here. Um, and this season. Yeah. Wow. The end of season two, man. And I will, uh, be waiting for season three. Yeah. And I, what I'm just so blessed and I can't say it enough. Um, how I love this DLC series. Too. And thankful I am for brother Jimmy and I just really am. Uh, we love you bunch. Uh,
0: I man, this, I'm, t- I'm telling you, this is, this has changed my life. Yeah. I mean it's changing my life. It's not yeah. changed yet. It's 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 way farther than it was forty <laughs> episodes ago. I promise yeah, you. I, that. Just, when I
1: start talking about this and feeling the Holy Spirit, man. Yeah. You know, I, I could run through a troop and jump over walls. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um here lately, Sister Donna, remember that old cartoon, Ricochet Rabbit? Bing, bing, bing! Ricochet rabbit. (laughs) She's reminded me of Ricochet rabbit here lately. She's had so much to do. Bing, bing, bing! But I tell you what, there's nothing like the spirit of God and the doctrine of Christ and the real Holy Spirit to set you free and give you revelation. I mean, we're preaching a real Jesus, and it's exciting. My, it is. It's great. We cannot. There's not words that could fall from mortal lips to tell people how real and great and wonderful Jesus is. If you don't know him, you can repent and believe the gospel and place your faith in his death upon the cross. And you can be born again, repent and believe the gospel. And wow, he is so. Amen. Now in Hebrews 12 and one, we'll close with this. Wherefore, sing. We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. There's that false yokes again. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We're in a race, we're in a war, and we can't have any extra weights. That's what these false yokes are. They're weights. And man, we can't have them because those weights will keep us from having that yoke breaking anointing and freedom of the Holy Spirit that the father wants to give each and every one of us. Um, we'll just close out with something John Owen said about that. Um, he says this, he says, More seems to be intended, but that we part with everything, what kind soever it be, which would hinder us in our race. And these things are called a weight, not from their own nature, for they are light as vanity, but from the consequent of our setting our hearts and affections upon them. When we so embrace them, so adhere unto them, as to take them into our minds and affections, they are a weight wherewith no man is able to run a Christian race. He understood that you cannot have two yokes. You know, this is something I think very few people understand. But the yoke of Christ—it's just so wonderful. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, and that's the invitation to everyone: come unto Him. And that's what we leave with each and every one of you. Of each and every one of you, we invite you to come to the Master, take His yoke upon you, and embark upon the greatest adventure of your life. Thank you for watching
0: this episode of the Doctrine of Christ. We pray it provided you with clarity and understanding. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Facebook. Leave a comment. Ask a question. You can also email us comments and questions now at Series at gmail.com. And until next time, may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all.